I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. The disco saga continues in the back, back stages on fire. Okay, hi. <laughs> this is Minnesota. My name is Maya. This is a podcast. It's called By All Means Necessary. I'm losing shit. It's supposed to be short, Maya. That's why it's called Minnesota. Let's 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 get to it. Before we dive in, there are a couple of things that inspired Minnesota of this month. So. I had a few cases that, you know, I have my list of prospective cases. There's a list, actually. I have a Google form that I shared on socials, but I don't think I share it in descriptions of these. Reminder to self, share it, find it in description, and submit to me which cases you would like me to cover, which ones are, like, insane, because you know I thrive on those. <laughs> Trying to say everything in 60 seconds, do it. It's not a TikTok, my. it's a fucking podcast. So last month I kind of had patterned minisodes with the Buried Alive team. This month I decided, okay, no, 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 we need something lighter and we need inspirational people. And I had two cases that I wanted to cover. So the second one is female. The first one is kind of a mix of things. I just wanted you to understand <laughs> that profilers aren't like 100% real people, okay? The people that we all saw in Criminal Minds. And if you were like me, you were enganchada. You were like dying, die hard for that show. Or Mindhunter. All great, all great shows, but heavily dramatized. However, the unit does exist. It's just that people don't really understand what those people do in real life. So I thought, like, let's break that down. Let's give you a bit of history, and then let's focus on one of the Mindhunters. Because I read a few of his books, and he is really interesting and also inspiring. And I was like, wow, men can be both. <laughs> Stop switching off this medicine. Men can be both. No, no, no. I, I believe in men. Let's let's have an equal month. I talk about men and then I talk about a woman on the second minisode. You see? Equality. We, we're doing it by all means necessary. The other thing that inspired this was this memory that I've had of this Spanish girl that I studied criminology with. Well, masters in criminology. This girl... I might have told this on the podcast, but this girl legit went paid like 9k to study her master's in a subject and she thought this is going to be like criminal minds like she thought legit that we're going to go in and do profiling and they're going to give us like files and be like profile a serial killer i kid you not this bitch did not expect theory this bitch did not understand what is going on and then she was constantly complaining and then she was trying to convince people that profiling is a real thing and I was just there sitting behind her always dying, dying inside. Like, how can you not research a course? And like, what is it going to be about? Like, how do you just blindly go in? It's not like it's for free. I would understand that. No, you just paid like 9k or, or above. And you just went into the course, like, get it together. Okay, so now that I had that off my chest, now that you know the backstory of what inspired this, let's dive into the story of the BSU. So when we are speaking about the BSU, which is Behavioral Science Unit, we are referring to a unit within the FBI. So, you know, our favorite shows did get that part right. And the FBI reports to Attorney General and the Director of National Intelligence. So they're pretty much up there, reporting to the government. And the FBI established this unit in 1972 in order to explore the psychological issues of violent crime and also to help establish the methods of investigation to exploit the clues of like behavior, the patterns, that get revealed while people are investigating. 
And you know the formula that you see on TV shows? That part is sort of correct. Is analysts trying to adhere to the ABCs of applied behavior analysis? A stands for antecedent. I never know how to pronounce the word. Antecedent? Antecedent. Antecedent. I have no idea how to pronounce the word. But that is the prompt, you know, something that's preceding the behavior. Then you have a B for that behavior, which is the action or behavior that is the response to the trigger. And then you have the consequence, which is the mechanism that's associated to that behavior. And because this is the behavioral science unit, the key is on trying to explain that behavior. So they are using things like employment situation, type of job the perp has, family status and background, personal preferences, so what kind of victim are they going to go through, so victimology, hobbies and formative experiences. So we'll go into this further, but what you see in the movies is partially correct. So there will be some sort of what we know as profile, which is determination based on their life, based on their preferences, that is going to help to eliminate certain suspects and then shed the light onto the real ones. The right age of the person, the, their background, do they have any mommy issues, what kind of job do they operate in, what do they thrive on when it comes to their personal life. What kind of people would they be comfortable with? What kind of personality would they have? Would they be the dominant one? Would they be like a control freak? Would they be organized or disorganized? However, this is portrayed as like the main stage in all of these shows, whereas it's really not in real life. These people are usually in the background, sort of working as consultants to the FBI, consultants to the people that are on the scene. That's like the main difference that I realized once researching this, and that's that... Usually, behavior science unit will never be on the scene of the crime. They're not there, like, collecting evidence. No, never. They take all of the information, they get all of the files, and then they deduce based on what they're reading, based on all the DNA evidence, based on everything that was already collected. So, you know, they're not the collectors themselves. And the idea of profiling actually started with us guys, starting in the UK, starting in London with none other than Jack the motherfucking Ripper, which is one of the earliest recorded cases where the police department actually asked the police sergeant, Thomas Bond, to offer a profile of Jack the Ripper based on what they had collected. So the post-mortem examinations, based on his anatomical understandings, based on everything that they collected on the scenes. Because if you remember, you know, DNA wasn't a thing then. So they literally had to use their gray cells, as Sherlock would say, and just do that. Just brainstorm, be like, well, he's a male. He has some anatomical experience, so he could be a butcher or like a surgeon. And they were literally doing that. And that's what the whole investigation was based about, speculation. So Bond, who I now wish I looked up, he, had he inspired the series, the 007 series? You don't say it. Literally nobody in this world has ever said 007. It's like, no, it's 007, right? Can you tell that I have never watched a James Bond movie? Can you tell that I'm not, like, a fan fan? <laughs> yeah, they can. Literally everybody's screaming and quitting this podcast right now, idiot. So Bond used his gray cells, and based on the killer's anatomical understandings, the surgical skills of the mutilations, and the sexual nature of the murders, he concluded that this is a serial killer, so it's one man's work, and he was a male with basic medical knowledge, and he was harboring a misogynistic rage, because he was after sex workers, and usually people who are 
they have a problem. They want to cleanse the society from them and they think they're doing God's work or whatnot. Because of their ego and because you can't spell disappointment without men. Anybody listening that is on TikTok knows that's a TikTok reference and they're just like <laughs> sitting there judging me being like, really, bitch? 28 and on TikTok, using TikTok references in a podcast. Listen, you gotta make it relatable to the you that listens to true crime. Because everybody should be interested in true crime, at least remotely. At least to pick up some street smarts and to know what to do in certain situations. And not to get themselves in like some shitty friendships that end up in murder. Something you wanna get off your chest? No, we're gonna move on with the story. So, literally not a personal story. Just watch like a dramatic TV show, it's fine. (laughs) over the ocean in the US, the profiling became prevalent with the case of the Mad Bomber, when again they had to consult somebody, so they had to bring in a consultant, and in this case it was a psychiatrist called James Brussel. So in 1956, after 16 years of investigations that led nowhere, the NYPD requested Brussel's assistance to look at these bombings that they had over the city. And the media dubbed this guy the Sherlock Holmes of the couch, which is basically armchair detective. It's like Sherlock Holmes of the cloud. I'm like, I love it. I dig it. I want to be it. Yeah. So this guy kind of was semi-accurate. Like, he kind of went a bit, a bit like Sherlock Holmes. He kind of went and did the most. So he said that this guy will wear a buttoned-up double-breasted suit and that he will be a foreigner. Those have been inaccurate because it's too much. You can't fucking say what the guy is going to be wearing on a day. Like, mate. You kind of usually try to pinpoint, like, the race, the gender, the age, and even that is rough. You can't be like, no, he's gonna be 25 and 3 months old. That's not just how life works. This is not some psychic shit, it's actually based on, like, science and psychology. When he actually went into what his degree provided him with, so when he went into, like, the psychological aspect, that's when he was accurate. So he predicted that the suspects will suffer from paranoia, and he assisted the NYPD, and they managed to catch the guy. What I don't mention, what first occurred to my head is, like, this guy is... Must be good with, like, you know, electrical shit. Like, must be an electrician. And then when I looked it up, it was... Yeah, that was literally his, like, job for for years. That's the kind of thing where this becomes useful. Because now you can narrow the field of the person you're looking for. Because now you know you're looking for a white male. You figure out the age range. You figure out the job with the electrician. And suddenly the pool becomes from thousands and thousands to a very limited pool of people that you're looking at. But prior to these two cases, Jack the Ripper and the Mad Bomber one, usually profiling and kind of this consultant work was only used in cold cases, so nobody figured out that no, this would actually be really useful in active investigations, especially now that we are starting to see some serial killers. And between 1972 and 74, the FBI established the Behavioral Science Unit, because as we all know, 70s and 80s, well, mostly literally like period between 60s and late 70s, was the period when most serial killers were roaming the streets of the US, literally all over the place, and people actually realized, no, actually, let's use these skills to catch these fuckers, like, fuck cold cases, like, they're literally people dying on our watch right now. This is when it comes useful. 
And the unit was formed with 10 agents at first in response to the rising wave of the sexual assault and homicide. And the 10 agents soon became between 76 and 79 who would end up interviewing 36 serial killers. One thing that people from real-life investigations will never admit to, and it's so fucking true, and is also well portrayed on all of these TV shows, and that's that they need to name these units. They need to have like some dramatic ass names, some powerful ass names, and they change it until they reach it. Even the operations, whether it's units, whether it's a squad, whether it's a police, whether it's an operation that they're doing, literally anything we know from Diana's case, Operation Paget. Then I mentioned in another case, Operation Paperclip. Literally, that makes zero sense. Sometimes it is literally just like, oh no, we are naming it after a paperclip because paperclip was used to join their files. You're like, I mean, by that logic, might as well name it Operation Toothpick because I was like fucking cleaning my teeth while I was researching. Like, what? But they have to. They they have to. <laughs> Operation two. So early 70s, the unit was usurped by the Critical Incidents Response Group, or CIRG. <laughs> Catchy as fuck. They're like, yeah, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound, doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not like WWF. Even that doesn't roll. It's not like Oxfam. What does Oxfam stand for? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Literally, shut the fuck up. Now let's go through every single abbreviation and see what it stands for, Maya. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not test my intelligence today. Then it was renamed the Behavior Research and Instruction Unit, or BRIU. Then it was renamed Behavioral Analysis Unit, or BAU, which is the one we know from Criminal Minds. Actually, it was renamed BAU-5. And they worked within the National Center for Analysis of Violent Crimes, or NCABC... I'm not roasting it. You're the most powerful people. Don't hunt me down. <laughs> Don't profile my Google searches, please. Now, when they finally decided on a name that they will again rename to BSU, but we are, we have not come to that yet, we are going to meet two people that joined the FBI in 1970. So we are picking up in 1976 with two agents, supervisory special agents, John Douglas and Robert Ressler. And these two, really, if you're going to read, I haven't read a Robert Ressler book yet. He published multiple as well. I read two by John Douglas. He wrote Mindhunter, the book, and then the show was based on it loosely. May I add so? You know, <laughs> heavily dramatized for the TV, but the characters were based on him and Ressler. If you read any two books in true crime, read Mindhunter and read Killer Across the Table, also by John Douglas. Both of them will send chills down your spine. It's literally him going to prisons with Ressler and interviewing serial killers. Literally, that was this guy's life. Just like him going into the minds of them. And getting information about motives, planning and preparation, details of the crimes, and how they disposed of evidence. So let's talk briefly about Ressler first. Robert Ressler graduated from Michigan with a Bachelor of Science, and then he did Masters of Science in 1968, joined U.S. Army as the military investigator, and this is where he learned how to catch the bad guys. And with every single one of these agents, again, what they will probably not admit, but what the TV shows present well, is that there is a case that sticks with them. So there is a case that either made them famous or sticks with them for all the wrong reasons, really. For Robert Ressler, he started off following Lipstick Killer's work. If you know the case of Lipstick Killer, why he is called the cool name? Again, because media just does not understand how to stop. And because he would, like, leave the notes in Lipstick on the crime scenes 
he might have been gay. At least <laughs> that's, that's my conclusion on the guy. Also, if you look at Lipstick Killer, um, he's aging n- not great. N- not great. He literally looked really hot in his youth. And then the way he aged after being caught, sorry, sir, like prison doesn't sell you like those n- not aging creams or whatever the fuck they're called, does it? Can't get a fucking Botox in there, can you? So, you want to age like a bitch, commit crime, and end up in prison. <laughs> off topic, off topic. This was the case that for wrestlers sparked his intrigue into the minds of serial killers and into the psychological profiling. And the questions he couldn't just leave behind were things like, why did they do what they did? Was it the irresistible urge that they couldn't control? You know, or did they just snap? Do they make the active choice to kill? What soon became his focus were the motives of a killer, to which I put, you could really say, wrestler was the first of the fuckers. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe change the name of that, <laughs> change the name of of the true crime junkies to, to that or something else. No, fuckers it is. All right, he would be so proud. <laughs> He's literally twisting and turning in his grave right now. And soon he realized that if you know the why, you will have the better understanding of the crimes and people that commit them. Don't hold me 100% accountable on this one, but I'm pretty sure this was John Douglas in one of the books that said, if you know the why and you know the what, you should know the who. Like, if one of those things is incorrect, that's when you can't find who did it. So basically, if you understand the motivation and you understand what exactly they have done, like the victimology, how did they kill the modus operandi, all of that you should be able to find a person. I mean, again, certain cases, probably when there was no DNA, maybe not, maybe yes, but I I like the thinking, because obviously, you know, I kind of created a podcast based on the motives, so I have to like the thinking. It's, It's in my DNA. And Dressler, obviously being one of the first fuckers, was actually the guy that was crediting for coining the term serial killer in 1974. However, Germans will disagree, because Germans are best for those compound nouns, we know it, schadenfreude. Name another, name another, do it. (laughs) Brain just stopped. Ostdorf, why did Ostdorf come to head? (laughs) Is that your, like, East Village? Does it exist? Probably not. Literally Deutschland, but sure. Wow, this is a class of German that you didn't know you joined. Well, the serial killer in German is Serienmörder, and it was coined in 1930, so, you know, our wrestler fucker was a bit late to the game, and it was coined by Berlin investigator Ernst Genat, who was the director of Berlin's criminal police. But yet again, everything goes to the Americans because of the war and because Germans were bad guys during that time. So <laughs> they're like, no, it was actually Rastor that coined the term. Listen, I'm smart enough not to spy the Germans and start another world war. Hmm. <laughs> the level of ego. But to his credit, I don't think that, yeah, wrestlers spoke German or was reading the works from, you know, to, to find out about the Syrian murder. He was actually teaching here in the UK at the British Academy in Bramshill. And this is when he overheard another officer describing different crimes like sexual assault, robberies, arsons, burglaries, homicides occurring in series. And this description, once he overheard it, he said it reminded him of hearing a movie term, which was serial adventures. 
And these were the movies that were featured in theaters on Saturday afternoons during the 1930s and 40s. And they relied on cliffhanger endings to draw audiences back each week. So he was like, wait, what if these killers are leaving us on a cliffhanger? Because they are technically never done. And not just that, but each crime in the series only intensifies his tensions and desires. It's like that binge. When you're watching a Netflix series, you want to continue and continue and continue, thinking that there is going to be some grand finale that is going to relieve you of all of these tensions, but it just never happens because you're just hungry for more and you are getting away with it. It's like Netflix, excuse me. Netflix is just the analogy, don't sue me. <laughs> just compared binge to like serial killers, for fuck's sake. The crime would therefore never satisfy the criminal's ideal fantasy, so the serial killers instead repeat the crimes in this unending serial cycle, hence he was like, why don't I call them the serial killer or the serial rapist? He worked on many cases, interviewed people like Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, Richard Chase. So, because I covered Jeffrey, I kind of looked into like what he thought, like, and did they profile him correctly? So, Ressler felt that Jeffrey was not of sound mind at the time of his crime. You could definitely say so. Yeah, you can say that he kind of lived in La La Land. And yes, he said he lived in fantasy world where he wanted to have a compliant and submissive partner. And Ressler said that Dahmer would have been unable to stop himself from trying to achieve this aim and keep this person with him once he brings him to the flat and once they're in controlled environment. And Dahmer was Ressler's first example of an organized killer who would lose control in a psychotic episode. And this kind of changed his psychological profiling for the future because this is the first time where they actually saw that some serial killers can actually be organized. There's a difference between them being organized and disorganized. And the case of Dahmer also opened their eyes to the fact that, you know, the thing that I always like to preach, that defining them as monsters is just not correct, because this is somebody's child, son, this can be your neighbor, a person that you know, a person that you drank with in a pub, kind of like people did with Dahmer, they just never suspected him. So in a lot of cases, it's not the person that looks scary, like, a lot of people, when you ask them today, even me, like, when they look at Jagen Dommer, you're like, no, I would find this guy hot. Like, I would not look at him and be like, no, nah, that's the guy that, you know, killed how many? 18 men? I forgot. They killed men and did all of the brutal, the worst things to them. This is when we meet Douglas and Dressler again in 1979, when they have already interviewed 36 incarcerated serial killers, and they finally created a database on serial offenders. I don't think you understand how important this is, okay? This is literally why I was falling for the formula of criminal minds, because of VICAP, or Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. This meant there was a database, and then people could communicate and check for the patterns, and then they could these police forces could determine if they're hunting for the same perp. So, you know, they can correlate information, they can share the information. They're like, no, he is now in the state of Georgia, now he's in the state of Nevada, you know, like it's the same guy because of his modus operandi, because of his victimology, because we still think, you know, he's doing the same fucking goddamn thing, which would then increase the chances to identify the suspect. So VICAP is a system of records that contained their completion of date of serial offenders. So it contains stuff like crime scene descriptions, crime scene photographs, statements, court records, news media references, criminal history records, lab reports, 
and of course, most importantly, the victim and offender descriptive data, so names, identifying features. And the data that I provided was focusing on the cases of homicides, missing persons, unidentified victims, and sexual assault. Then when they would look at this information and data, it would help the BSU to match the violent crimes based on whether it is MO, whether it is their signature, the disorganization, or the organization of the crime scenes, and that would help them to understand and finally catch the serial killers. And Dressler was a diehard for this job. Like, he knew that he was passionate for this job because he literally did it, like, all the way until he died. He actually visited Juarez in Mexico to investigate the still active, mind you, like, Red Handed actually did, like, a great episode on them last week, on femicides in the hands of gangs that are prevalent in Mexico where women just can't do anything and nobody is looking into it because again the police is in the pocket of the gangs and it's all about bribe and how nobody is really looking into bringing the justice to any of these femicides so this is still current so all the way up until his death and he died of Parkinson's he was looking into the patterns of killers and helping different police forces to solve the crimes so Mindhunter's gray guy special agent Bill Tench was based on wrestler and now we have to talk about the second protagonist to our story and that is John Douglas John Douglas also served in Air Forces, and he holds several degrees. He did bachelor's in sociology, physical education, recreation, and then did master's in education, psychology, and counseling. And then, because that just wasn't enough, and that just wasn't varied enough, he did a PhD of comparing techniques for teaching police officers how to classify homicides. So this was literally like, <laughs> this guy studied for this, literally, how many years? Probably like 10 plus years, only to transfer to do something that I was like, how? Sir, everybody that does hostage negotiations is like on the next level. I'm, I'm sorry, but like whoever just actually negotiates on the spot and you know what's on the line and you know what the stake is when you're doing hostage negotiations with a person that's holding multiple people inside, you don't know what's in their head and you're like, yeah, this is it. This is the life I chose because I fucking studied for it for like 10 plus years. So in late 70s, in 1977, he was teaching hostage negotiations and applied criminal psychology at the FBI Academy to later be promoted to unit chief of the investigative support unit. As we know, him and Dressler crossed paths because of their research project. You know, you, you think your research project is cool for your dissertation? I went for mine to, like, look at the archives in a freaking library back home in Serbia. These guys were like, no back-to-back with serial killers and you're just there day by day it makes you sick to your stomach but you need to endure you need to figure out why the fuck are they doing it the profile i'm gonna focus on when it comes to john douglas is going to be of one wayne williams this is the case of atlanta child murders i listened to true crime obsessed two-parter today they commented on like the documentary on atlanta child murders just like to sort of familiarize myself with the case in a light sort of way because obviously nothing about this case is light and nothing about this case is light because it was black children of course so everybody just discarded them immediately and just thought like that was normal literally people in this documentary said like oh no this is just like normal it's for a year they didn't even start investigating they literally found a field full of like dead corpses where every other day you would find another child they were like this is just normal like kids what falling down and when it comes to cases like this like they enrage me so much because there's still so many podcasts there's so many 
armchair detectives, whatever the fuck you want to call them, that cover cases that are like either have been solved or speculations have been made or again have happened many years ago Madeline McCann makes the news every fucking day John Benet Ramsey Kaylee Anthony the little kid like you see them all over the block however when this case is covered it's either covered as a cumulative it's never covered victim by victim and it's just such a piece take because you would like to think that we are progressing now, that we are seeing these things differently and are giving equal amount of media coverage to when a black girl goes missing versus a white girl, but it just is never the same. Driving to the point in this case, the Atlanta murders were happening between 79 and 81, and I told you for about a year, they literally thought like, oh, this is just normal. When Douglas reached Atlanta in 1981, this investigation was at a critical point. The police officers that were investigating this in Atlanta thought that the killer was white and that he was the member of the KKK. But Douglas was like, no, these kids are disappearing from black communities. And it seems like they might disappear with somebody who they would be comfortable with. If we are to think this is a middle-aged man, a white man would be noticed in these communities. There are far less chances that somebody is going to go off with a white man in this kind of community than with somebody of their race that can bond and build rapport with them. He also said this individual will be of average or above average intelligence, articulate and probably presenting himself publicly as a figure of authority. He said the person will be closely following the media coverage of the murders and had probably had frequent changes of employment or was self-employed. Another thing why it's so vital that these people get involved during the active investigations is because of the change of MO. So once the media reported that fibers have been found on the scenes of the crime, then Douglas was like, okay, cool. So he's going to be following the news. He's going to see this. So next, what you need to know is he's going to be disposing victims in bodies of water to get rid of that evidence. And that's actually how they finally caught Wayne Williams, because they were literally staking... This is such an interesting case. I need to cover it one day. Because they were literally staking out, like, around bridges, around bodies of water, to, like, hear the splash in early hours in the morning. And then, once they heard it, the police would kind of, like, make a route, find a car, stop him, and ask him, do you know why we stopped you? And he said, oh, it must be in, in relation to those murders. They were like, uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> That's not the, word, uh, the correct answer is, sir. But yeah, let's question you. So they finally got him, and it was mostly because of the profiles that the BSU officers have provided them with. However, one thing that this case is infamous for, it is that Wayne Williams might not have committed all of the murders, because there were a couple of adults, but also there were a couple of victims that just didn't fit the victimology. So in his book Mindhunter, Douglas actually said that there was no strong evidence linking him to all or even most of the deaths and disappearances of the children between those years. Douglas is still alive, by the way, and even now, he got involved in the Amanda Knox case, he presented evidence supporting her innocence, he also provided analysis in John Benet Ramsey case, and he concluded that neither John Patsy nor the son were responsible for the death of John Benet. To which I say, even the best make mistakes. <laughs> Again, I will never cover that case because I think it's very clear that the son did it and uh, that the parents covered for it. There is a whole Criminal Minds episode on it. It's not based on John Benet Ramsey, but in my head, it is. 
and that is exactly how I picture that it was done. Literally, it's, I swear, this case, I think it might be based on it, because I swear it happens in the basement as well. And then the parents, like, cover for the son. But then eventually the agents find out that the son was a psychopath, which never happens here. Hey, not me bringing hate on myself for all of the John Benet family enthusiasts. Who the fuck did it then? Who did it, if it's not the family? So those are some brief anecdotes on Wrestler and Douglas. I think the most famous one that I didn't want to mention because it's covered literally everywhere, plus it's in Mindhunter, is the one with Douglas uh, when he went to interview Ed Kemper. That anecdote is real. I think they presented it. I've watched Mindhunter like years ago when it first came out. He basically stays with Ed and there's no guards, nobody to let him out. And Ed kind of is all there cocky like, well, I could technically behead you here. You know, I'm huge you're literally nobody and how he talks him out of it how he tries to basically just stall and say that he actually managed to smuggle a gun and that Ed is like well you didn't nobody here brings guns I'm actually smart and intelligent as you know but basically he gets himself out of the situation just by stalling so that's that on Douglas read Mindhunter and Killer Across the Table definitely Mindhunter like both of them are good but Mindhunter is like great it's I would say even better than the series, even though I did, did like the series, not gonna lie. Where does the BSU stand right now? Well, from the latest things that I could find, they are kind of different units now. So it's not just like one unit, again, like they represent on every single TV show. It's more like they were divided in all these different groups in 2014. This is to divide the duties and provide the analytical focus. So again, something that people don't represent on TV because it's boring, they can literally focus on any case. Like, it can be something like fraud and then looking into fraudsters. Recently, unfortunately, a lot of things that these behavioral scientists look at are mass shootings. Because America. <laughs> because that's what became modern crime. And I think that became modern crime because people know that they can't get away with the serial murders now because of the DNA. So they just know to send a message, they have to do it all in one go. Don't quote me in history books, please. That was a dumb quote. I need to say it more eloquently. Also, if you are in the US and looking to go into criminal behavior analysis, you should know that there are other state agencies and other federal agencies that employ criminal profilers, such as the Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Department or Department of Homeland Security or state police, large metropolitan police agencies. And I had to look into this because it's so obvious. It's online. I don't know why <laughs> my lovely friend that studied criminology with me did not check this before going into it. But you need to be a US citizen you need to, um, you know, this kind of shit doesn't exist as such. Like NCA here, National Crime Agencies, they do have university courses, they do have consultancy jobs in behavior science, but that's what you need to study, that or psychology or sociology. So behavioral science, not criminology. Cool? <laughs> cool. But in the US, you need to hold US citizenship. You need to be older than 23, but younger than 37, which I found interesting. I guess they take into consideration like the family life and, you know, how busy you're going to be versus how agile, how agile and busy you're going to be after 37. Is this the first time you're pronouncing the word agile? Agile. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> 
<laughs> there are not enough hours in a day for this shit. Just not enough hours. You also need to have a four-year degree, have a valid driver's license, and have at least three years of professional work experience. There's a link in the sources section that I have left if you're interested in two step-by-step process because I just randomly found that article when I was looking at it. So click on that if you, you know, are intrigued by this or you want this kind of legacy that Wrestler and Douglas are leaving behind and have left behind. But if you picked up on one thing during this minisode, it is that motives are the way forward. It's the why and the what's. And we are on the right path here. Mm-hmm. Because what do we do? Oh, what do we do? <laughs> Say it with me. <laughs> what? Are you teaching a kindergarten class? What is this? What do we do? Week by week. Mm-hmm. We keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. That's exactly what we do. Happy Friday. Welcome to March. It's beautiful. Days are longer. It's warmer. Soon I'm gonna be in shorts. Winging. Shaking my body. Okay, so... I'm gonna leave you now. Why are you gonna be shaking your body to? Where are you going? <laughs> nowhere. I am going nowhere. I am sitting here telling you stories and going absolutely nowhere. And I wouldn't have it any other way. In slow-mo, that was... And I wouldn't have it any other way for the people in the back that can't fucking speak in like 2x. Cool. Uh, happy Friday. And I'll see you on Monday, guys. Uh, <laughs> bye, fuckers. <laughs>